This is KYUK, Public Radio for the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. I'm Francisco Martinez Cuello. We just wanted to start with the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, yeah. That's U.S. Representative Mary Peltola kicking off a meeting at Bethel's VFW late last week. And to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, at a table alongside Paltola was the U.S. Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Dennis McDonough, and Bethel's Post Commander, Henry Hunter Sr. You heard veterans speak on a teleconference with the Secretary and their concerns and how hard it is to um, get to the VA from their villages. And they stressed the high cost of living here in Bethel or in the YK Delta. Just to fly from Hooper Bay, I think it's about $600 one way. So it, it, it is pretty expensive for those veterans. More than a dozen veterans attended the listening session. Paltola and McDonough answered their questions for almost two hours. Veterans said they are concerned about the lack of benefits and Internet access, Alaska's high cost of living, and their concerns about the U.S. being dragged into a war between Russia and Ukraine. When it comes to veterans in rural Alaska, McDonough says rural communities across the country serve at a higher rate than citizens living in urban or suburban areas. When those service members separate or retire, they often return home to their small communities. Alaska natives, in particular, serve at a higher rate. I thought it was really important to come out here to Bethel and to see the particular uh, life that our veterans here live so that we are making sure that we're getting care available to them, getting benefits that they've so earned and so richly deserve available to them uh, in a reasonable way, not making them have to fly halfway across the biggest state in the, in the union to get that done. One big issue that came up is the rate of veteran suicide. The most recent data available is from 2020, and one sobering metric is clear. More U.S. vets have died by suicide in the last 10 years than service members who died from combat in Vietnam. Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan is co-sponsoring a proposal for the VA to study the effects of medical cannabis on vets with PTSD and chronic pain. We want to make sure they take a hard look at uh, whether there isn't a way for us to get better access uh, to research the uh, potential uh, uses of cannabis for things like uh, PTSD. Veterans in attendance and at large said they don't think the government is doing enough. McDonough's response? Our number one clinical priority is to reduce and to end veteran suicide. Recently, the VA invested $3 million into an app for Native veterans to reduce suicide. McDonough said it connects veterans who are at risk or in crisis to care in their home communities. So this is precisely the kind of activity that we wanted to invest in to see if we can grow it so that other veterans in Alaska and then other veterans across the country can get access in a timely way to the care that they deserve. At the VFW Hall in Bethel, I'm Francisco Martinez Cuello. Concerns about national security are heating up in the rapidly changing Arctic. In 2021, the U.S. Coast Guard opened a seasonal air base in Kotzebue. The community was once home to a permanent Air Force station. In part three of an ongoing series, Emily Schwing explores what it could mean for Kotzebue if the military expands its presence in northwest Alaska. 
It's early August and Kotzebue's commercial chum salmon fishery is in full swing. Boats line up to offload catch at a small dock on the edge of Kotzebue Sound. Nate Koch manages Arctic Circle Wild Seafoods, a small fish processor here. I came to Kotzebue when I was 21 years old. So it was a, certainly a culture shock to me to some degree. Born and raised in Hawaii, Koch says he never considered a move to Alaska until the Air Force stationed him here in the 1970s. When someone from the outside comes in, they really need to embrace whatever the culture is where they're going and not try to push themselves in the door to change that. Kotzebue's Air Force Station, the one that brought Koch to town, closed in 1983. Today, it functions as a long-range radar site. In the years since, Koch married into an Inupiaq family and built up a long resume of work within the community, including 27 years on the city council. He says if the military ever decided to resurrect a base here, the community would need to be involved. So it's taken time for me to even learn that, what the culture really is in the community. I mean, the Native community. You know, what are their values? What are their needs? You know, I'm an outsider coming in. How, what do I need to do to be accepted? So that's what I think has to happen no matter what, because if that doesn't happen that way, then there's going to be a negative impact. In recent years, more fighter jets have been based in Alaska. Cold weather training for soldiers here has increased, and an effort to provide the U.S. Coast Guard with a new state-of-the-art icebreaker is underway. Russia lies about 250 miles west of Kotzebue, and conflict with Ukraine has fueled more discussion about whether a more permanent military presence along Alaska's west coast is both needed and warranted. More than 50,000 Americans live in the Arctic. In a video posted to Twitter last fall, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken included national security in Alaska's Arctic region as one of four main pillars in a new national security strategy for the Arctic. We have no higher priority than defending our country and our people. And security in the Arctic is key to that. This is our table. Like, we have to make sure that we're there when it comes to policymaking decisions because there is activity happening. Koluk Carvalho is the vice president of Lands for Nana, one of the largest Alaska Native corporations in the state. She's also a member of the U.S. Arctic Research Commission. People can think of the Arctic as this pristine place where there's no activity happening, and that might be relatively true on the U.S. side. It's not as much activity, but on the Russian side there is, and all of our food resources go over there and come back. So it's all one environment. There's a lot of risk associated with it, and so how do we make sure we're at the table to define what it looks like? In recent years, the Arctic has seen a drastic increase in industrial marine traffic in the region. As a self-described coastal Inupiaq, Cravalho is worried. Whether for commerce or a beefed-up military presence, she says an increase in industrial marine traffic is likely to impact the marine mammals and fish that provide a sustained food source for the people who live here. When you're harvesting, when you're participating in these activities, this is how you learn our culture and our language. This is how it's passed down generation to generation because of the close relationship with the land and the water. It's a primary means not only to provide sustenance for ourselves and our people and our communities, it's also a primary means for our culture to continue. Cravalho and I sit out on a seawall built more than a decade ago to protect Kotzebue from the impacts of a changing climate. Coastal erosion caused by rising seas and increasingly rough storms. Overhead, small commuter planes come and go from the nearby airport. Are you concerned about how, like, 
just even here in Kotzebue, like if there is a more permanent Coast Guard presence or, you know, they do put it in a naval base here, or, um, how that might change the fabric of the community a little bit? I think every community worries about that, but this community is not unfamiliar with it, right? We've had a base here in the past. Certainly there's always that risk of the community changing. Um, so it's how we interact with that change that's really important, right? And we don't know that there'll be a base here. You know, the tools and types of infrastructure needed to be present here have really changed over time. Currently, a military buildup is just a discussion. And while shipping traffic in the Arctic is increasing, it can feel far away. Kotzebue is set back from the open Chukchi Sea by nearly 70 miles of shallow, protective water in Kotzebue Sound. And now I'm just sitting. <laughs> That's all right. What's happening here now is a successful chum fishery. They're having, they having a lot of fun. 85-year-old elder James McClellan is in his Jeep, parked on the beach, peering through binoculars, scanning for boats fully loaded with fish. Just like living from the country, that's all. Yeah. It's good. Keep you healthy. Last night I had some, um, our salmon, I fried some. Oh, it was good. Fried salmon and fried potatoes and onions. And, oh, it was good. I bet. That sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What he that can't see really with good. binoculars yeah. is beyond the sound. A growing traffic jam of industrial ships, a potential for conflict with a foreign neighbor, and the unknown impacts of a changing climate on food resources, including the chum salmon. In Kotzebue, I'm Emily Schwing. This ongoing series is made possible through a grant from the Climate Justice Resilience Fund. This is KYUK News. I'm Francisco Martinez Cuello. Kuyana for listening. Please share your news tips, comments, or suggestions. You can email us at news at kyuk.org or message us on Facebook. And stay tuned for News Yuktun coming up.